Amen. Good morning again. Good to see you all. Um, so the, the, um, the bit from the Great Commission that um, we've got to look at this morning is this. It's teaching them <coughs> to obey everything. Now, this is an interesting phrase. In fact, can I tell you, this is so difficult a phrase that when you go through quite a few of the major commentaries, they just skip it. They go straight to an album with you every always. Go make the album with you always. Which is great for me, and I really genuinely wish that that's what Jesus said. Because it gets a bit awkward in the middle. You see, Jesus' teaching, as we can see, always follows the same Bible theme as, as we've talked about before, of contrasts. Narrow road, broad road, good tree, bad tree, light, dark, obey everything. Mm. Oh, well, if we were following that pattern, there would be nothing. I, I saw recently, a few weeks ago, I saw a nice, it was really good, it was a talk by uh, Francis Chan. I don't know if you've come across Francis Chan. He's very witty, very challenging. And uh, he was talking about Christians inventing a new doctrine. And he was kind of poking the finger a bit, and he was going, Do you know, he said, um, I have been naive all these years while I've been in church because um, I always thought there was just a broad road and a narrow road. But as I've been ministering in churches, I've realized that actually Christians have cut a sort of middle road, which involves the things that are not so bad and kind of forget about the rest. Uh, and, and it is interesting that, because this is, this is challenging for us, isn't it? We would like to pick and choose our commandments, let's be honest. We would like to pick and choose uh, how much we cooperate. And that's difficult when Jesus says to people like us, go and make disciples, well, that's straightforward enough. We go, go make disciples. Come and, come and follow Jesus. I, I can cope with that. That's not bad. It's the next bit. Go and make disciples, teaching them to obey everything. <laughs> People don't like this. I mean, maybe, frankly, that would have been the time for Peter, if he hadn't been in disgrace at the time, to have taken Jesus aside and had another one of those quiet words that he had with him and said, look, Jesus, um, people, people don't really like being told you should or you shouldn't or you must. People don't like that. I, if I'm honest with you, modern Christians don't like that. You know, there's a risk that you stand up in front of a church and you say, well, frankly, you must. And the congregation you stand up in front of the following week is considerably reduced. Because people don't like being told. 
We don't like being told. And we tell, we'd say, look, you're being a bit legalistic. You're being a bit judgmental. You're being a bit condemnatory. Just, you know, take the M word out. Don't tell people they must. Don't tell people that it, that's not enough. Well, that's not acceptable. Don't do that. That's, that's not good. In fact, we've even moved to the point, interestingly enough, where a lot of modern churches, they now refer to members who serve in the church as volunteers, not disciples. Go into all the world and make volunteers, negotiating with them to the maximum they are prepared to give at any given time. Now, there's a great commission I could work with. You know, really, it was time for Peter to take Jesus aside and go, listen, you know, I know you've got all authority, but um, let's be realistic here. You know, let's tone it down a bit. And that's difficult, isn't it? Now, I appreciate, and I really do genuinely appreciate that, church leaders should not be lording it over people, and Jesus himself said that. Don't be like the Gentiles who like to lord over. I completely agree. And nor should people be at the front of the church guilt-tripping the church into commitments. Nor should there be legalistic behaviors. We do not obey because the law says Right from Deuteronomy onwards, God wants us to obey because we love Him. Not out of law, but out of grace. So that's not okay. But what is the alternative? Is the alternative, therefore, I please myself and I'm not accountable to anybody? Now, there's a problem. Go and make disciples teaching them to obey everything I've commanded. So if as a church we're trying to make disciples, we're in trouble, aren't we? Because that's discipline, commitment, obligation, submission. That's tricky. And leadership, therefore, needs to have integrity grace, gentleness. That's also tricky. There has to be some trust. I have to say, right, for my money, because I know a lot of people look at the Great Commission and they see the evangelism bit as the hard bit and the uncomfortable bit, but for my money, this is the hardest bit. This will be everything is the hardest bit. Jesus says that, teach the disciples to obey. Then there's two big problems here, or they look like two big problems. One of them is teach to obey. How do you do that? And the other one is this, everything. But the reality is that it's only one problem, and it's this. Obedience isn't partial. We're back to the Bible's love of contrast. Obedience, disobedience, bit obedient, not, not really there. 
bit obedient, some other book. Bit of cooperation. And that's where we are. But let's be honest, obeying means everything. And now we've thought about it. Everything's not a very popular concept, is it? Everything. Okay, so I just want to raise a few things about you, just to, just to think about this. So, the first thing is we need to think about everything is in context. There's a context for everything. So, one of the reasons for this is the common claim by Christians in church and often non-Christians outside of the church that when Bible teachers start to teach about what the Bible says are the standards and what Jesus commands of his followers, those listening feel a sense of condemnation. Now, this isn't necessarily the teacher ranting out in some condemnatory manner. This is not necessarily the accusatory finger-pointing of the person, you know, by us fiery-eyed preachers. Fiery eyes. Nor is it that sort of necessarily that smug, self-righteous social commentator making us all feel guilty about all sorts of things. Sometimes it isn't any of those things, but they are easy things for us to say. But you see, there is a reality that we have to think about, which is our context, the context in which we live. And the context really flies in the face of the current model of thinking, which is individualistic. That actually the context in which we think about everything is actually the context of ourselves. But that is in fact not the case. This is a construct which has really no relevance to the wider spiritual life of the world. I watched a program not, not very long ago. I won't tell you which program, but anyway, it, it typically of, of television programs at this time involved a group of people coming together to face a challenge. And uh, obviously the cameras were there uh, to see it. Um, and in this group, there was a, a man. And every time this man thought that anybody had any expectation of his cooperation whatsoever, he would just refuse to do it. And he would rant at people saying, I am not a child, you can't tell me what to do. Now meanwhile, all the other people are having to do all that person's jobs and sometimes pick up the pieces from this particular rant. And the reality was, if you were picking out between him and 154-year-olds who looked the most childish, it would be him. And he might rant and say, I'm not a child, you can't tell me what to do. The reality is, well, we can tell you what to do, and you are. But there's the interest. If you took that behavior and put it in a nursery school, you wouldn't notice it. 
it'd be just another four-year-old having a bad day. But when you take it out of that and you put it into the context of adults under pressure having to be responsible, somehow it shows up for exactly what it is. Do you follow that? Here's what the Bible talks about. Just, I'll just read to you. Jesus says, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. You remember that bit? The next bit. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned. But whoever does not stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. Imagine two rooms. One is dark and smoky and um, it's, it's vague and it's difficult to see. Another room that is light. Let's call the dark room condemnation. Let's call the other room light. When people are in the dark room doing dark things, nobody notices it's dark. But when people are in the light room doing dark things with dark attitudes, dark behaviors, dark words, guess what? Shows up. When people are in the dark room doing light things with light attitudes, light life, light behavior, doesn't it shine brightly? And there's our context. But here's our trouble, and here's our trouble. Because if somebody like me arrives, just me for example, so as that I take all the blame for this, and happens to talk about light things, and the context in which you are operating is that dark room, then what you become aware of is the context in which you're operating is a context of condemnation. It's not, I'm not doing this. I'm not doing this. I haven't done this. I haven't done this today, by the way. I haven't mentioned anybody's behavior at all. I haven't mentioned one. I feel in the dark room. That's not my fault. It's not my fault, but the temptation is that when we're making disciples, we just try not to illustrate the context in case people feel condemned. And then, by the way, blame us. You're making me feel guilty. No, I'm not. You've just noticed that you are. <laughs> That's not my fault. I didn't do that. Or is that not the case? Is it our job to make people feel warm and cozy all the time 
even when what they are doing and what they are thinking and how they are conducting themselves is not warm and cosy. <laughs> tempting, got to be honest, tempting to do that. Jesus says, whoever acknowledges me before men, I will acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But he also disappointingly says, whoever doesn't acknowledge me before God, I will not acknowledge before my Father in heaven. Not acknowledged by Jesus puts us in a place of condemnation because the world is already condemned. Jesus didn't condemn the world. I don't, it's not my place to be condemnatory either because it's already existing. It's there. But equally, if I have to shut my mouth every time there's a risk that that contrast might show up, then I am not making disciples. I really wish Peter had had a word. I genuinely do. This is not easy, is it? Can I just mention another thing? Everything, not only does everything have context, but everything has impact. Everything has impact. Another one of those things about individualism is we somehow think that you can do all your own thing, I can do all my own thing, uh, we can all think, believe, and behave however we do, and, and it doesn't have an impact. Because every, this is not biblical at all. It's, it was Martin um, Neimoller who said, first they came for the socialists, and I didn't speak out because I wasn't a socialist. Then they came for the trade unionists, and I didn't speak out because I wasn't a trade unionist. And then they came for the Jews, and I didn't speak out because I wasn't a Jew. And then they came for me, and there was no one left to speak for me. Everything has an impact. What we don't say has an impact. I was away with open doors this week. I had the privilege of listening to testimony and teaching from the pastor who has responsibility for the church in Damascus and in Aleppo. And he was talking about grace among the rubble, about forgiveness and about restoration. But this was his testimony, that time and time and time again, when people were in dire danger, they discovered that those in safety who were praying for them had made a difference. And that exactly the time when they were saved from danger was exactly the time when people had felt convicted to pray for them. Praying has an impact. Conversely, not praying has an impact. Everything has an impact. There's this passage in Genesis 15, uh, 16, where God says to Abraham about the Amorites and their future. He says, your descendants will come back and destroy them because as of yet, the full measure of their sin has not been measured against them. Now, some theologians, including Spurgeon, have suggested that perhaps this is the whole world. That actually there is a quantity of behavior within the world after which God will say that's enough. 
I'm not entirely sure, if I'm honest with you, and I'll maybe have to look up a few other theologians, I'm not entirely sure how I think about this, by the way, but I'm just simply saying that quite a few people have said this. But that would be interesting, wouldn't it? Because think about, you know, some individual Amorite, you know, just taking a little bit off the measure to increase their profit. Where are they thinking, hmm, the impact of this is that I've just taken my entire race one step closer to destruction. Do we think, and I'm just putting it out there, that each time we decide not to obey, we also contribute to the full measure? Doing has an impact. Not doing has an impact. Jesus said, obey everything. Jesus said this, but I tell you, everyone will have to give account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. That's interesting, isn't it? I just want to say, if that's not a comfortable statement, I didn't say it. Okay? If you're just noticing a bit of contrast now, that's not my fault, okay? I, I'm beginning to believe that if I had actually been on that shore and Peter didn't say anything, I would have probably gone and had a quiet word instead. But here's the problem. I cannot rescue me from that contrast. When, when I walk out with a bad attitude, the Holy Spirit makes it clear, and I can't get away from it. I just can't. There it is. Everything has an impact. Narrow road, broad road, as Francis Chan said, two destinations, not one down the middle. Not one down the middle. So the process of individualism denies context, and the process of individualism denies impact. But here's the reality. Everything we do is in a spiritual context, and as soon as we open our eyes, we will notice what it is, whether it fits with the light or whether it fits with the darkness. That's not my fault. Everything we do has an impact, what we do and what we say, what we think and what we feel, and what we don't do and what we don't say has an impact as well. So that's all the bad news, ladies and gentlemen. I want to move to some good. So everything has a context. Have you got that? And everything has an impact. Here's the good news, by the way. Everything is not your problem. Collective sigh of relief. <sighs> everything is not your problem. So now, you might be feeling a bit weighed down. It all might be getting a bit heavy. It might be a bit overwhelming. Everything, everything is a lot, isn't it? Everything's big. It, everything. Everything in context, everything is, everything will be held to account. I mean, it is just, everything is just too much. But here's the thing. I'm like you. I, I feel the weight sometimes. Do you feel the weight sometimes? You, you know when those occasions when you're a bit quiet and you have a look at what you really like and um, 
It's just frankly unpleasant, really, you know? Um, yeah, I do that. You know, and I, I, I don't know. Do you, do you do this? Uh, just tell me. No, don't tell me. Right, I don't want to. I can't carry the weight, to be honest, right? But in your head, if not on a piece of paper, do you make a list? Do you make a list of the things that, you know, maybe you should be doing this week that might improve what you've just seen when you, you know, caught yourself by accident looking at how bad you are? Do you, do you do that? I, right, okay. Um, I'm not going to ask what's on the list. Uh, I never mention the list. If that makes you feel bad, it's not my fault. But everything is a lot, isn't it? It's a lot. It's heavy. This is what the Apostle John said, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom, sorry, this is what Jesus said, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have said. And what did Jesus say? I didn't come into the world to condemn the world. Whoever believes in me will not perish, but have everlasting life. My burden is easy. My yoke is light. How do we deal with everything in the context of easy and light? How do we do that? And it's like this. Because there is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Because through Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set us free from sin and death. So here we go. Imagine our two rooms again. Dark room, light room. Dark room, dark stuff, no problem, all fits in. It only becomes a problem when we step in. Now, here's the fantastic thing, though. Jesus gives us the key. He can let us move from the dark to the light to move from the dark to the light. So when we encourage people to come to Jesus, we're saying step out of the dark into the light. How good is that? Out of condemnation into salvation. You can have that today if you want. However, what the commission is to say this, if you encourage people to do this, you are putting them in an awkward position because now everything that doesn't fit into the light is going to start showing. What are you doing? When we make disciples, are we encouraging one another? Are we building one another up? Are we being open and honest about our flaws so that other people feel encouraged to deal with theirs? Or are we trying to pretend that we're just so light. Because remember I said everything has an impact? The impact of that is people come into our church and feel like they don't fit and that everybody is perfect. But if we hold ourselves accountable, if we confess our sins, remember that's what John said, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's where we can do. You see, everything is Jesus' problem. Whatever is the matter, he fixes it. But the challenge for us 
isn't that we get everything right, but that we do take everything to Jesus. Do we do that? Because then the everything works like this. All we have to do is follow it one step at a time. So when Jesus points something out, we do it, or stop it, or change it, and then we move on to the next thing, and then the next thing. We're not, we're not told to do everything at once, just to follow it one step at a time, which is excellent, isn't it? Here's the thing, though. If we don't, then we just sort of stop with that little bit of disobedience, waiting and waiting and, and waiting and um, waiting and waiting. And I don't know how much of your life you've wasted um, doing that. I think I've clocked up a few miles on that one, if I'm perfectly honest with you. But there's the thing. So the exciting thing is this. When Jesus says, teaching them to obey everything, that could be hard. But Jesus deals with the everything. We just have to follow him. Is that a commitment you can do? Do you have something outstanding that you need to deal with today? Do you have something that you need to recommit? Is it time for the next step? Is it time to step out of the dark into the light? Everything is challenging. But it's a process. It's a journey. Let me just finish by reading from, first, from Second Peter, which Janet's going to put up. So we can all have a look at this, and we'll just see this journey. We all right, Janet? Shall I just read? So, Second Peter says this, Second Peter chapter 1. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life. Everything, by the way, he's given us everything we need for a godly life. Through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promise so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption of the world caused by evil desires. For this reason, make every effort, notice the journey, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance to perseverance, godliness, to godliness, mutual affection or brotherly love, and from mutual affection, love. If you possess these qualities in increasing measure, it's a journey, it's not all at once, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, bearing fruit, good trees that bear fruit. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to conform to your calling and selection. For if you do these things, you will never stumble, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. So, I just want to leave you with this challenge. If everything is too much, it doesn't need to be. Everything is God's
problem. But if everything has meant that you've given up now, because everything just seems too much, let me encourage you not to do that. Our God is patient and our God is gracious, and He's happy to sort out everything one thing at a time. So if it's time for you to get started again, if you have a thing you need to deal with, if there's a way, then please don't leave today without getting prayer because our God is gracious. Jesus is gentle of spirit. He can get you started. And we can be back on our way to everything. Let's pray. Father God, just pray that you bless us, you challenge us. Uh, I confess that I feel a bit guilty every time I look at, um, at my own life, and I know that that is a lie of the enemy, that I shouldn't be condemned but spurred on, that you can deal with everything. Help me to have open eyes that I can see the contrast and ever-increasing ways move on to be obedient to you in everything, Lord Jesus. Amen.